0: The Great Bible Reset is a podcast devoted to counteracting the Great Economic Reset of Klaus Schwab using Bible lessons and theory. Thank you to boomers-alive.com for sponsoring this podcast and the Kingsway Classical Academy. This week we are continuing our study on the great books of Western civilization and their effect on our current economical and spiritual crisis. And now your host, Oliver Woods.
1: Well, welcome everybody. This is Oliver Woods, and um, welcome you to uh, GreatBibleReset.com, where our our focus is on a a personal and and public commitment to the law of God, as it's summarized in Exodus 20-24, through as the one and only thing that God requires and commands to deliver us from our current national distress and judgment. For example, in the book of Jeremiah, on on the... um, Eve of the Babylonian captivity, God told Jeremiah to uh, roam to and fro through the streets of Jerusalem. Look now, take um, and take note. Seek in her open squares. If you, if you can find a man, if there is one who does justice, who seeks truth, then I will pardon her. And um, that's our our hope that uh, if we can be that man um, and... Um, Seek justice through truth, through through God's truth, that that He would relent and um and and lift His hand of judgment. So to, today we've got a, a special guest, uh, Pastor Ted Weiland, who's uh, a pastor of a church in in Nebraska, to uh, discuss what that means in terms of the oft-repeated uh, injunction that we need to return to the original intent. Of the United States Constitution, because the United States Constitution is is uh, such a faithful reflection of the of the biblical doctrine of civil government, and uh, I don't think there's anybody more qualified than Pastor Raymond. He's he's written a a, a point by point or paragraph by paragraph uh, analysis of the U.S. Constitution, biblical analysis, and, and now and that, uh, this was about. Ten or eleven years ago already, and uh, but now he's come out with another book, uh, so the same kind of analysis of the Declaration of Independence. So, uh, welcome, Pastor Wyland, and um, maybe we could just start off uh, briefly if you could, you know, tell us a, a little bit about yourself and uh,
2: and your ministry in in Nebraska and then beyond. You bet. Um, just as a clarification, at one point you uh, changed Pastor Wyland to Pastor Raymond. Oh. And so, um, just so that your audience isn't confused, it is Pastor Wyland here. I live in in western Nebraska, um, and uh, I, you know, the best, probably the best way to, to describe me um, to your audience in, in the fewest words is First um, Corinthians chapter one and, and verses twenty six and following. Uh, Oliver, I claim. For, for me, and I'll, other people can borrow that passage. But, but if you want a, a description of Ted Weiland, it's it's found in those verses. And I'll just quickly read these. It says, "For, for you see, you're calling, calling brethren, how not many wise men after the flesh, not many mighty, not many, many noble, are called. But God has chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the things that are wise, and God has chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty." And the base things of the world and the things which are despised has God chosen, yea, those things which are not to bring to not the things that are, that no flesh should glory in his presence. And Ted Weiland is found right there in verse 27. The God, why God chose me, I have no idea whatsoever. I was a dumb tobacco spit and cussing bow rider at the time he first touched my life. Uh-huh. And uh, for him to choose me to, to, to even accomplish some of what's described in that passage, um, to to the smallest degree is, is only by his grace and his mercy, but that's Ted Weiland. Anything anybody else finds in me that's good or righteous, that's Christ. That's what he did to me. right. Um, I, I know Ted Weiland and I, I know that none of that is me. It's, it's all him. So I minister in, in Western Nebraska, um, and, uh, Got, if I can mention my website, I'd mention that to to, the, to your folks. Sure, um, it's Bible Law, or excuse me, the the uh, URL would be Bible Versus, and that's spelled out B-E-R-S-U-S, Bible versus Constitution org, um, and uh, you can go there. And I've written over thirty books now. The last one that that uh, Oliver mentioned was the book on the the Declaration. That's the 30th book. All of the books, or almost all of the books, if you go to our online book and article page, you'll find all of those books, or at least almost all of those books, only one or two is missing, um, available free of charge right there on our website, including the book Bible Law versus the United States Constitution, The Christian Perspective. It's about 575 pages, wherein I've dedicated a chapter to um, biblically examining the Constitution, um, every article and every amendment of the, of the Constitution by the Bible, and even that book is available completely online. People can go there um, if they would like to have that book. And then I would also mention that we've got a ten-question survey over in the right-hand sidebar, and if people take the, the the survey concerning the Constitution and the Bible, um, they will receive a free copy of the 85 primer, uh, another book, but a smaller book, a primer of the Bible law versus the United States Constitution. Mm -hmm. So um, if you want to find out about Ted Weiland, it's probably best found in those books that I've written and the different articles and um, a number of other things that you'll find there on the website. So to the best of my ability that at this point, that's Ted Weiland. All right. Well, thank you.
1: Yeah, so we're gonna we're gonna focus just on the preamble of the Constitution today, and um, you know, if, I've, as I've read the number of Christian history, American Christian history experts, almost all of them. Um, well, so often you'll hear the, the uh, statement that uh, the preamble. Is just a secular version of the Bible covenant, and you know, I mean, throughout the um, the Old Testament, for example, we we see examples of covenant and retaking of of the covenant with God. Um, for example, in uh, I believe it's Second Kings twenty three two, the uh, the, the uh, reconstruction under um, I believe it's King Joash. He says the king it says the king stood by the pillar, made a covenant before the Lord to walk after the Lord, to keep his commandments, his statutes, and his testimonies. With all his heart and all his soul, and the people stood to the covenant. So it's a very definite, you know, um, agreement with God, a covenant with God uh, between the king and the people, and so forth. But oftentimes, our, our Christian history writers will say, "Well, the preambles, you know, just it's basically the same thing. It's just a secular version. It's it's no big deal." And uh, what 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 are your thoughts on that? You know, what's what's wrong with that attitude?
2: Well, let me first let's begin by reading the preamble, and I would ask people to open their heart and mind to um, what's really being said here. And quite frankly, you know, if you know your Bible and you know um, anything of, of God's law, His des- and His desire for our lives, if you claim to be a subject of the King of Kings, you know, I, you know, I'm hoping that as I read this with what perhaps are going to be new eyes for some of your audience, that. They will pick up on some of um, some of the problem with this idea that the preamble is a secular version of the, of, of the biblical covenant. So here we go. It says, we, the people of the United States, in order to form a more perfect union, establish justice, ensure domestic tranquility, provide for the common defense, promote the general welfare and secure the blessings of liberty to ourselves and to our posterity do ordain and establish the Constitution of the United States of America." Now, um, again, this idea of of it being a secular version of a biblical covenant, that doesn't even register with me. What's a secular version of a biblical covenant? How can you comport secular with, with biblical, particularly as it concerns a document, talking about the Constitution, a document that is godless, Christless, and, and a biblically lawless document. Not only biblically antithetical, but biblical. There's no law. There's no biblical law or biblical. There's nothing from God's word in um, at all in the Constitution. So how can this, this secular humanistic, it begins with we, the people, this humanistic covenant with the people, um, that's godless, Christless, and biblically lawless. And, and I say Christless because some people may counter that and say, wait a minute, um, you know, um, they, dated, they dated that Constitution in Article 7 with, with in, in the year of our Lord. Well, at the, that's it. That's it, people. Um, so if Christ is in it, the only thing they allowed for him was to be the timekeeper of the document. Um, So how is this godless, Christless, biblically lawless document somehow, um, um, you know, a biblical document? And particularly because, as I prove in the book, Bible Law versus United States Constitution, um, there is hardly an article or an amendment that's not antithetical, if not seditious, uh, to... Our God, Yahweh, Yahweh, God of the Bible, to His sovereignty and His morality, beginning with the the uh, first three words of the preamble, "We the people," um, doesn't doesn't give any any uh, recognition of God therein. It focuses on the people, and what's probably most disconcerting or one of the most disconcerting things about the preamble is that they. Are claiming their own authority, and that they're going to establish justice. Oh my goodness! Um, if we if we go to Habakkuk chapter uh, chapter one um, and uh, read from there, the uh, and let me just do that where it says. First of all, it starts with we the people. And I think this is an interesting quote regarding that. And that Francis Schaefer once wrote, he said, Humanism is placing the placing of man at the center of all things and making him the measure of all things. Well, that's we the people. And, and I might say this too, as compare, we should compare the secular constitution. With the biblical constitutions of the early 1600s. In fact, if you want to find our Christian heritage, our biblical heritage in America, we need to go back to the early 1600s rather than the late 1700s. And we go back we go back to the first to the early 1600s, and we find that they didn't create a government of by and for the people; they created governments of by and for God and I would recommend in particular New Haven, Connecticut's constitution as one you can Google and read the thing, and you'll see what a drastic difference there is, is between those constitutions of by and for God and the secular constitution of the constitutional framers of by and for the people. Hmm. Um, but the, the preamble is arguably one of the most brazen human claims to sovereignty ever written. Um, for example, in, in Habakkuk 1, 7 and 11, it says they are terrible and dreadful. Their judgment, New American Standard has it as better translated as justice and their dignity and New American Standard Standard has it better um, as authority shall proceed or originate with themselves imputing this his power unto his God. Um, Well, there's nothing new under the sun. We the people establishing justice um, only Yahweh is just and therefore only he can establish justice as as declared in, in Psalm 89, verse 14, where it says justice and judgment are the habitation of thy or Yahweh's throne. Mercy and truth shall go before thy face. Now, there's a lot more we could talk about about the preamble, um, the, the very specific wording of the preamble and why it um, is not a representative of a biblical um, contract with anybody—it's a secular, humanist contract that is a godless, Christless, and biblically lawless document throughout it. And people—the problem is—is is that nobody took the time. We, I think we—we we as Christians want so much to, for those guys, meaning the constitutional framework, to be our guys, and that that document to be our document. That for years nobody even thought about. Um, examining the document um, and what's therein by the Bible, by the only ethical standard that everything should be examined by. And that's what I've done in Bible law versus the United States Constitution.
1: Yeah, very good. The, uh, if you go to um, John Locke, um, first, no, Second Treatise on Government, Chapter 8, he describes the foundation of any lawful government in the world and uh, it's, and it's clear that uh, that the the connection is very clear, you know, between the preamble and 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 uh, and he says it's basically majority rule, and um, uh, there's no mention of God whatsoever in in uh, chapter eight there. And John Locke is known as the the father of the left wing enlightenment, um, but um, we might ask what. Um, what caused this? You know, I, I know Cotton Mather, for example, um, was one of the early uh, Puritan uh, pastors in uh, in the Massachusetts, and um, he, um, when uh, Isaac Newton, for example, came out with uh, his Principia Mathematica in se- sixteen eighty seven. In, in the laws of physics and so forth. Uh, Cotton Mather was, and, and, and other pastors I think as well, were really captured by that. And they tried to use the um, uh, the newly emerging science to in, in a sense prove the Bible. And, and also uh, Cotton Mather was uh, in, kind of enamored with uh, uh, some of the classical, ancient classical authors, in Plutarch in particular. And um, so it seems like, in, in, and we see this reflected in many of the that uh, place names of towns and counties and so forth in, in New England. Um, and uh, I, I think you know from, from um, 1687 to 1787 there, there was there was something going on philosophically. But do you have any other thoughts on why why the, why we have this this shift in biblical thinking, uh, Pastor M? From what seemed like a good start.
2: Well, um, yeah, and again, if we go back to the early 1600s, and I pulled up the fundamental agreement of New Haven, Connecticut, um, and here's how it begins, by the way, it says agreement, we all agree that the scriptures hold forth a perfect rule for the direction and government of all men and duties which they are to perform to God and to man, as well as in families and commonwealth as matters of the church. Likewise, in all public officers which concern civil order, the choice of magistrates, and officers, making and repealing laws, dividing allotments, inheritance, and so forth and so on. And then it goes on to say that we agree that such persons may be entrusted with such matters of government as are as are described in Exodus 18:21, Deuteronomy 1.13, 17, 15, and 1 Corinthians 6, 1, 6 and 7. So that, that begins to show you what a difference there was between the two, two covenants. Your your question, why what happened? <laughs> What in the world happened with such a wonderful start um, with these governments of, by, and for God that were expressly established upon God's law, God's triune moral law, his commandments, the statutes that explain them, and the civil judgments that enforce them, to end up where we are today? Um, Well, that's a good question, other than man has, you know, the... um, the innate ability to, to, mess everything up that even when we started, right. Um, but there is definitely a huge difference in this, this shift, um, that takes place. Um, at, you know, and just to give you another example of what it was like in the 1600s, for example, and this is, this comes, all of this that I'm sharing with you is found in the third chapter of Bible Law versus the United States Constitution, which is the chapter that deals with the preamble. But for example, um, McGuffey's Electic Reader, which was America's most popular school book in the 1800s, testified to America's early form back in the 1600s of theocratic government. And here's what it says. It says, there, and all of this is documented, by the way, in the book. It says their form of government was a strict was as strictly theocratical inasmuch that it would be difficult to say where there was any civil authority among them, distinct from ecclesiastical jurisdiction. Whenever a few of them settled a town, they immediately gathered themselves into a church, and their elders were magistrates, and their code of law was the Pentateuch. God was their king, and they regarded him as truly and literally, thro- th- uh, literally so. And, um, and I share several other quotations from back then with, uh, for example, Pastor John John Cotton is one of them, and and uh, also from from Alexis de Tocqueville's Democracy in America. He testifies to the same thing, and that this is what made America great in the past. And then there's this shift, and I talk about that and uh, where it went and a little bit of how we got what happened, but it's... Um, it's hard to really pinpoint exactly what it was that shifted all of this other than somehow the infiltrators must have gotten in there and and uh, started making slight changes and it happens over a great period of time. And between the early 1600s and the late 1700s, it had completely switched from a biblical government to a totally humanistic secular government.
1: Hmm. Yeah, there's probably a number of things that contributed to that. Um the, um, um, do you see any um, parallels between, um, you know, the story of uh, Rehoboam and Jeroboam in the Bible, where Jeroboam split off with the the ten tribes and then set up a golden calf, um, two golden calves, one in the north, one in the south, I believe, and um, and told the people these are your gods that delivered you from Egypt and uh, do, do, do you see any parallels there between where we're at today, you know, with the constitution and the declaration and, and, uh, what was going on back then? It, I think there's some interesting parallels also between, um, uh, the, the civil war that almost happened there and, and our civil war too, but that might
2: be another story. <laughs> well, absolutely. Especially with, uh, Jeroboam, of course, Rehoboam was the, was, uh, Solomon's son who took over the throne of the of the United Kingdom, and then it was divided because of the, the House of Israel, or excuse me, the, the United House of Israel um, sin against Yahweh. God splits the, the kingdom into the two southern tribes of the House of, house of Judah and the, t- the two ten northern tribes of the House of Israel. And um, as you said, Jeroboam was the, then the king over the the house of Israel, the northern the northern ten tribes. And what did he do? Is there a parallel? Well, absolutely. He rejects Yahweh as sovereign over his part of the nation at that point in time, and therefore his law as supreme, um, and then replaced it with his his own uh, secular government. Is exactly what what he did if it's not biblical it's secular and so he replaces the biblical government that God intended him to rule that part of the kingdom by just like he did rehoboam with the other part of the kingdom they both rejected god's law but but jeroboam, jeroboam in particular i mean he just he goes completely astray of of the biblical government and uh, substitutes um time and time again the priesthood and the the uh, subsequent laws and he sets up two idols at the, each end of the of his kingdom and and uh, instead of Yahweh as God and so yeah there's some there's it's a, it's an excellent question because that's in fact exactly what happened is that or the the parallel between the two is is striking because Jeroboam did or let's let me put it this way the constitutional framers essentially replicated what Jeroboam did, um, and they, rege- they, they rejected Yahweh as sovereign, and they um, set up their own secular laws um, um, in place of God's immutable or unchanging moral law that never changes. And what's been the result? Well, it, it's been, it, it was initially a very slow process, but it has, as I'm sure you see, it has escalated in the last few years um, and it has become a compounded problem to where now America finds herself on the precipice of moral depravity and destruction. And that suicidal trek to that precipice unquestionably began or commenced in 1787 with the creation of that secular government, just like with the House of Israel commenced with Jeroboam changing the biblical law into a secular covenant.
1: Hmm. Yeah, it's, um, it, it's, it's kind of, I think it's kind of interesting too. You know, they, he, he, the, the people probably had some inkling that something happened back with Moses and uh, and the golden calf, you know, but their, 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 um, their history was apparently not very accurate, you know, because uh, uh, Jeroboam was able to take that, that little inkling of inaccurate history and, and twist it around to set up these idols. And in many ways, I think that's where we are too. You know, we, we have some inkling of what happened back in seven, in 1787 in the founding era, but, um, not enough to really, not really understand what was going on. Um, the, um, um, I guess the, uh, maybe to wrap this up, um, we could ask, uh, maybe what, what, what can we do? Are there any practical steps you can think of, uh, Pastor Wile? you know, the, how do we, how do we get, how do we get out of this? You know, um,
2: well, another great question and not an easy one to particularly answer other than let me say this is that tragically, and, and it's, and it's with a lot of well-meaning people, Oliver, that, that, um, have been bamboozled, hoodwinked into believing that the, what, were, uh, what were unquestionably um, Enlightenment and Masonic theistic rationalist, uh, a blend of both Christian influence and, um, uh, what's the other word I want for them, that idea, a, 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 a deist um, and Enlightenment influence, uh-huh. Um, they were a combination. The, the 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 constitutional framers and other founding quote unquote founding fathers at least founding fathers of that time. Um, they were a meld of both Christian and secular influences, and they're best described as both Enlightenment and Masonic theistic rationalist, and uh, um, and a lot of people have they wanted to be Christians, but. And, there, and you can you can cherry pick pick their quotes, and you can make Christians out of them if you do. But the secularists can do the same thing and make it make deist out of them, by the same process of cherry picking their quotes. You take their quotes together, don't cherry pick them, and these guys were neither Christians in the biblical sense of the word, nor were they deist in the purest sense of the word. They were theistic rationalists, which doesn't make them much better than than deist um, to begin with, because you're either Christian or you're not. And these guys, I just simply, you examine their documents and don't cherry pick them, and they were not Christians. And this document that they created is anything but a biblical document, anything but biblically compatible. And therefore, you ask, you know, how do we get out of this mess? Well, it's the reason I wrote the book, is that like with Gideon's father's idol, before he could be used by God, him and his band of 300 in the book of Judges, Judges chapter six, could be used of God to, to further his, further God's kingdom. Gideon's father's idol had to come down first. Mm-hmm. And right now, the Constitution and the Declaration of Independence are the two greatest national idols in the hearts and minds of our people. And particularly, incredibly, ironically, in the hearts and minds of today's christians who have been hoodwinked into believing that this document is biblical yes. and so that doc, that those idols have to come down in order for us to make any significant progress on even a local basis in in reestablishing god's kingdom here on earth as it is in heaven as as we've been commissioned to do in matthew chapter uh, 6 verses 10 and 33 for example and several other passages as well so it begins with that, and that's one of the reasons I make all of my material, either online or if people can't afford um, but would like the, the books themselves that are on my website, um, but they can't afford them, as long as they will use them or use them for somebody else, I'll send them free of charge because this is this is the cutting edge of the the, the cultural battle that we're in is getting rid of these idols so that we can— Replace them with a biblical um, government that can produce the blessings of Deuteronomy one through fourteen, rather than the curses that we're under now of Deuteronomy fifteen through sixty-eight. So that's where it begins. I've also got material on on the web page, or and and also on my online book page for things to go from there. For example, I've re, I've got a book called um, a biblical constitution, a, a a scriptural replacement for secular government, in which I've and and this needs to be improved upon. I even mentioned this in the preface, but but it's a replacement of the preamble and the first three articles of the constitution, biblically, hmm. and so that's that's available too. I really wrote that for the next two or three generations of people, so that they would have something when this other when this system in, invariably crashes upon itself, the Constitutional Republic, that is, also known as the United States of America. When it crashes upon itself, which it will do as Christ forecast in Matthew 7 and Matthew 12, um, um, they need I, I realized the next few generations needed something to start with. So I so I wrote that as well. So there are other things available on our website. Again, that's Bible versus Constitution.org. Um, and there is a, a ability to be able to get the free books there if you, if you're interested.
1: All right. Yeah. Thanks for reminding us of that again. Yeah. I think part of the problem too is, uh, you know, this, uh, you mentioned the Masonic or the, and, you know, Rosa related to that is Rosicrucianism and part of their strategy or tactic is to, um, use, um, Christian sounding words, you know, um, and, but, uh, the disguise and underlying um, esoteric um, anti biblical philosophy. So that's Absolutely. It. But
2: it should be pointed out that for those who believe that's, that, that the Constitution is biblical, that, there's not even any of that really in the Constitution, even. And most people who believe that the Constitution is biblical or, or Christian re- probably have not really read it, and certainly not with eyes from a biblical perspective and say, how does this compare with what we find in the Bible? I, that question just is never asked. Right. And uh, you know, once you start going through it, you start examining it by the Bible, you realize, boy, no wonder America is precipitously teetering on the precipice of moral depravity and destruction right now. It was all laid out for it to happen, according to God's word, based upon what they did in 1787 with the with the, uh, framing of the, of the United States constitution.
1: Yes. Yep. Well, thanks, Pastor Wyland, uh, really, uh, for taking the time to be with us and, uh, giving us more insight into this critical issue. Um, and so we thank think, yes. And, and thank you everybody for, for, um, listening. And, um, we'll, uh, look forward to getting together again next Tuesday. We'll be take, taking up another classical author and examining, um, the impact they've had on that, um, help to get us to this position. So so uh, we'll we'll see you next Tuesday.
0: Thank you for listening to today's episode. For more episodes visit Reset.com and to help support the podcast and Kingsway Classical Academy, visit our sponsor at boomers-alive.com. To learn how to get your high school diploma and bachelor's degree on the same day, visit kingswayclassicalacademy.com and save up to $100,000 on college tuition.